So fun, that's a funny call now. We have someone in New York, someone in London, and I'm in Riga, so we're a bit spread out across the world. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Are you at the conference in Riga right now? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay. It's a... Uh, in my opinion, it's quite close. I think Prague is um, a bit more bigger in terms of, you know, the way they organize stuff. But Riga is really, um, yeah, yeah. you know, you get to talk to the devs. It's a bit, um, I mean, today they had an event at the warehouse, so it doesn't get any more Bitcoinery, yeah. in my opinion, than this. No. <laughs> yeah. I saw that on Twitter. I was like, what's this random video of some warehouse with some random like kid's bike? And then all of a sudden there's That's a the stage vibe. there. That's the vibe. <laughs> bizarre, but it looks pretty cool, to be honest. And you mentioned you're in New York. Are you originally from New York, Ella? Or, or is it just because of your university stuff now? No. Yeah. No, I'm from Houston. Um, that's where I was born, grew up. And then I went to high school in New England area. I went to mm -hmm. a boarding school. Um, and I also did my junior year of high school in Beijing until COVID broke out and we all had to come back. Um, oh. But now I am a junior at Cornell in Ithaca, New York. J junior is third year, right? Yeah, yeah. Third year, yeah, exactly. How do you call it in London? What is almost is it over? Just third year, or how would you say? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's time for work. Get, get out. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah you, we call it university here. Okay. Um, okay. And yeah, you get your first year, second year. I, I don't know what it's called, to be honest. I don't think there's a phrase for it. I always found it cooler that the Americans have a name for each year or in. But whenever someone told me, I'm like, ooh, yeah. that's, that sounds maybe like third, second year, you know, let's try, try and take a shot. Yeah, third year. Yeah. Yes. And just before we hit record, you also told us that um, we'll dive later into it, but you're quite involved in, you know, bringing Bitcoin to the forefront in uh, academia. How's that conversation with your, with your professors and stuff? Because I imagine that's quite, can be quite a hurdle. Yes, it is. It is a bit of a hurdle, um, especially because, as we know, there's a lot of education involved with what is Bitcoin, why does Bitcoin matter? Um, and Cornell is maybe in a little bit of a unique situation because they have a very strong blockchain presence um, and just conversation on campus. Um, Avalanche was founded at Cornell. Um, a lot of professors in computer science are really familiar with blockchain. And when I talk to them, they say, yeah, you know, we know about Bitcoin, but we think that blockchain is really the true innovation here. And you should really study that. So that's kind of the computer science side of things. Um, but I, I'm in the College of Arts and Sciences. And so I, to do this independent major that I proposed last year, I had to write up a proposal and then use topics that are inside of the College of Arts and Sciences so for me, that was cognitive science, information science, and then some econ. And so when I went to them, I presented the proposal and we had a conversation. Their response was, yeah, you know, why do you want to study something that's only 13, 14 years old? Why don't you instead study the gold standard? And, you know, we don't think this is such a good idea for you to study Bitcoin. Um, so, of course, then there's many more follow-up conversations from that. But it's it's a bit of a slow um, process that requires a lot of, kind of many conversations. Aren't they at the same time shooting themselves in the foot if they say this? Because, like, blockchain technology, inevitably. I mean, you, you could make the point everything came out of Bitcoin if, into the blockchain altcoin system. So that's a weird statement to make. But, okay, good yeah. on them. <laughs> yes. And, and I think so, too, because... So what I love about Cornell and one of the main reasons I chose it is because we have pretty much any topic you want to study, except for Bitcoin at the moment, on this campus. We have amazing professors and students with all sorts of interests, unlike really any other school. And so I said, look, you know, Bitcoin composes every discipline, you know, any tie of anything anyone's studying on this campus there's a Bitcoin connection. And I think it's so important that Cornell be a leader in this proposing this new field, um, just for some historical context. AI was kind of invented um, very close to Cornell, up kind of near the observatory here with the Naval Research Center um, and IBM. But Dartmouth 
gets a lot of the credit for AI. And so I said, you know, look, this could be a really great opportunity for Cornell. Um, and I guess going a little bit further into the history, the founders of Cornell were very involved in how bad fiat is, as well as kind of one of the founders of Western Union. And so Bitcoin, now we have obviously Strike and Lightning. A lot of the elements of Bitcoin are kind of rooted in our history. And so I proposed all of this and they're just not really ready to accept it yet. But, you know, I'll be here anytime for the conversation when they're when they're open to it. Well, it seems like you're really working hard to convince them to open their mind up a little bit in into the concept of actually um and it's interesting you mentioned about there being so many disciplines within the Bitcoin um, ecosystem, if you, if you want to call it that, is, you know, there are so many disciplines that, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially the rabbit hole, right? It's, it's everything leads back to Bitcoin in some way and how we can sort of interconnect that with other disciplines as well. It's quite an interesting concept. But are you doing this all by yourself or is there a team of you trying to trying to do this? So it's just me on the campus that's doing this, but I'm wow. certainly not doing it by myself. There's been so many Bitcoiners who have been incredibly generous with their time to, you know, read my proposal, talk through ideas with me. Um, you know, Karok, um, Ray at um, A&M, Troy Cross, Marco Pays, um, other Gen Z, um, Zach, um, Arsh, others I'm sure you've seen on Twitter. Um, so it's, it's mm -hmm. I'm doing it by myself at school, but it's certainly a team effort. Um, yes. That's, that's cool. But it's interesting you mentioned Margot because we had her on the show yeah. as well. And she was talking a lot about the difficulties that she had to overcome um, and the challenges she faced in, in academia, yeah. um, particularly when they learned about um, her doing a lot of work around the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's great to hear that she is still persisting with trying to change the tone in academia. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Um, so for you to get to this point where you're sort of champion championing bitcoin in this institution how did you end up there what was your origin story when it comes to to bitcoin let's let's go back to the beginning for yes you. okay so at the beginning is is blockchain um and i guess maybe i'll just add on the on the academia front and why i'm trying to talk to cornell in a way that maybe makes sense to them or they have some tie to is because when i first heard about bitcoin it didn't really mean anything to me. It wasn't, I think everyone comes to Bitcoin for a different reason. We all have some pull. And when I first learned about Bitcoin, it kind of just went over my head because I, I didn't get it. It didn't relate to me. And so I think whenever I have a conversation with anyone, I just try to figure out why could Bitcoin matter to them? Why will they care? Um, so when I first learned about Bitcoin, it was in the spring of my senior year of high school. So this was um, spring 2021. And I was taking a couple different classes on blockchain. Um, my school had a really cool program where they called it like the technology, innovation and entrepreneurship program. And you had to take different classes to fulfill that certificate that you got when you graduated. And so I took a class on this called blockchain. Um, and basically, we looked at how different blockchain applications could help the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And so, of course, I thought, you know, it's really interesting that um, Dunkin Donuts is tracking their coffee beans <laughs> with blockchain. But that, you know, that, that was cool. Didn't really stick with me. Um, we had some kind of trading. I don't even remember what the website was called, um, but just build a fake portfolio. Um, you know, I had to give a presentation on Cardano, I think. And then I was also, yeah, I know. Um, and then I was also watching the Gary Gensler MIT um, kind of blockchain and money course. So I had all of this kind of, I was absorbing it all, but it didn't really mean much um, until the following summer. I was, I went to the Oslo Freedom Forum. And I think that is when I would say I really understood Bitcoin. So I was introduced the prior year, but then going to the Oslo Freedom Forum, it definitely just kind of invigorated um, the fire and the spark for me in Bitcoin. Um, and I got back and started to just really kind of do some writing, some reading. Um, I don't know, I read the budget of the federal government for the U.S. that summer. I was just kind of going down many different rabbit holes. Um, and then I also joined Generation Bitcoin that summer. 
So it was a blockchain origin, but um, Bitcoin, Bitcoin only now <laughs> for a while. What what happened in Oslo if you that to really sort of flip that in your mind for Bitcoin? Yes, specifically. I think it's you know a lot of people will come to Bitcoin for number go up, um, but at Oslo it just became so clear: freedom go up, knowledge go up, just human rights go up. Um, so hearing all of the, the human element, the value alignment of Bitcoin, just when you kind of are going off to college, really thinking about the life that you want to build for yourself, you know, what type of person do you want to be? What type of values do you want to have? The values of Bitcoin of just inclusion, trust, um, empathy, um, peace, freedom is you know, that's the person I want to be. I don't want to be the, oh, exclusion, greed, dishonesty that we typically have our society kind of aligned to. Um, so I think that's really what flipped the switch for me. And I think that's a very important point to make because for a lot of people who are in the midst of, you know, orange pilling your local coffee shop or your, um, your local bar you usually yeah. go to, it's very hard for these people to understand why they should accept yet another, I'll just call it payment provider, because that's what we usually do, right? We, we mm -hmm. hook them up to something like yeah. Ibex or, or one of these lightning companies. Yeah. Um, and they don't really sit yeah. there and go like, okay, why should I accept it? And I think if you have that little spark where you go, yeah. listen, you don't know what happens. You might need to flee your country. You might be on holiday. You're in desperate need for some cash mm -hmm. or to liquidate something. And this is truly one of yeah. the very op few options you have left at that point that is cost effective. And I think if people yeah. make more of these efforts and also show how you can pretty much use it in everyday situations, I think that's where, where, that, where that spark sticks. And then people go down that rabbit hole. But then... Um, Mentioning what you did over that summer, like casually mentioning, reading the whole budget of the US, <laughs> wasn't that like, were the hair pulling moments during during that session where you went like, oh my God, I can't believe we actually uh, are somehow part of this or that no one is talking about these things. Yeah. And so I'll say, so part of it is, um, and it actually did turn into an article that Bitcoin Mag published, but I was trying to understand and follow through Greg Boss's math on how we would get to like 2.124 million um, per Bitcoin and really understanding, okay, you know, our debt, like, where is this coming from? How do we tackle this? Um, and I'll say at the time in the spring, my um, senior year of high school, I was also starting to get my first paycheck. Um, I was working for IBM at the time. And so my parents were like, you know, Ella, this is your money, but we would really like you to consider investing and saving and, you know, you need to take, grow up and take care of yourself. And so I was like, yes, completely agree. And so, you know, I said, so values, that is what has kept me in Bitcoin. That is what really made me a Bitcoiner. But, um, when I, you know, no one wants to invest in something that's going to go to zero. So the number go up, of course, that, um, was somewhat on my mind. And I was thinking about what do I do with this paycheck? Um, But that was also happening at the time. And I was like, okay, you know, I am going to invest in Bitcoin. And I bought Ethereum at the time too. I, I didn't understand really, but it's a learning process. And going through the learning process, I think just makes you understand Bitcoin um, so much more. And it's a necessity. Yeah, because at that point, it truly is an investment for you. It's not, um, I don't know, yeah. FU money or whatever people want to call it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, okay, I bought it yeah. at 10, maybe I can sell it at 20. And uh, lovely, chubbly double um, my investment or my initial yeah. investment. Um, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Was it once you were at Oslo, were you immediately thinking, oh, right, I need to find people like myself and therefore ran into Gen Bitcoin? Or, or, or how did that co connection come about? Um, no. So actually, they reached out to actually, Arsh reached out to my mother um, through Twitter, and then that's how we got connected. But I, so I've always had some sort of numbers fascination, I guess you could say. Um, I, I went to a Catholic school from kindergarten to eighth grade, and we always used to have chapel and the, um, the chapel had stars on the sky, um, but I was not Catholic. And so I was not allowed to really participate in the service as it happened, but I had to be there. And so I would just count like all the stars on the ceiling. Um, and then I tried to get clever and count the panels and then multiply it 
But anyways, I've just, I think I've been observant of numbers around me. Um, not to say I'm a genius at math, but I just, I like seeing how numbers are. And I noticed, uh, and this is what I started writing on the plane back from Oslo, just kind of random number coincidences, I guess, in Bitcoin. So um, the difficulty adjustment, executive order 6102, and then the 21 million Bitcoin, so two, one, and six zeros. And so I think on a Twitter space, my mom mentioned this observation of mine. Um, and that's why my Twitter handle is 21 million for the 21st, um, because I think that the 21 million tools for the 21st century, and I think Arsh heard it and then reached out. And that is how I came to join Generation Bitcoin. That's really cool. Um what what kind of stuff are you doing over at Generation Bitcoin and what is the, the premise and the, the purpose of it? Absolutely, yes. So we really want to help um, Gen Z get into Bitcoin, help them learn about Bitcoin and then so learn about Bitcoin, but then also really be able to participate in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So learn and then work in Bitcoin because at the end of the day, Gen Z really is going to be the beneficiaries of Bitcoin and carrying on the future of Bitcoin. And you're not going to get Bitcoin education from your high school or your college or anywhere else. So we've tried to really make it our mission and our goal to be the people to you know answer questions, but then support and help educate. And so within that, I my role is the project lead for Generation Bitcoin. Um, and so right now we're working on a really cool project or Projects Too Small um, initiative uh, that will be worldwide global. And I'm not saying the name because we haven't finalized the name, um, but it's going to be um, a way to foster a global network of Bitcoin clubs and universities all around the world. Um, so there's about 30 of us working on it right now. And we really want to connect students um, with opportunities and resources within the Bitcoin ecosystem and just promote education and collaboration. So we're gonna help you start your club on your campus with guides um, and really also um, financial support because Generation Bitcoin is an official nonprofit now. So we can um, take in sponsorships and then help these clubs with funding um, as well and really you know, just be that bridge. So um, the two pillars are education and then jobs. So that's what all of our projects stem from. Yeah, because it's quite uh, for me at least. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually Ian and I spoke about this before you joined the room. Yeah. We were like, well, well, in terms of generation, what are we? I identify <laughs> myself more with the millennials because I, I was born in '96, and yeah. uh, you know, grew up more with like the early internet culture and stuff. Ian was a bit before yeah. that. And I'm, I'm more in Gen X. Um, well, at the, at the tail end, I think Gen X, according to this graph, I've got ended in 1980. And I'm just on the, the cusp of that. So, um, yeah, yeah I've, I've got three different generations in one room right now. And that's fascinating. Anyway, yes, over to yeah. you, Joelle. But I think if, if you take all of us across the spectrum here, there is a high likelihood that if this Bitcoin thing continues to grow the way it has so far, and I would argue we're even growing faster these yeah. days than what we have before, it's very likely that we keep doing this for another 30 years, you know, 40 years, maybe even with you, Ella, and um, yeah. just commit so much time of it to it. And if you actually take a, a quick yeah. look in the whole spectrum of things, that's probably going to be a very small contribution. And I feel like if I have to um, sort of identify with a Gen X, a Gen Z, sorry, these days, yeah. it must be frightening to look at the world, especially the state now, and go, well, you know, everything I've been sort of told. I wouldn't say it's a lie, but, you know, there's more to it than what they're actually telling us because all of my professors, they may have had it easier. Uh, my parents may have had a different experience and they then have to be confronted with something like Bitcoin, which it just takes time to get. And the minute you think you get it, you have seven different avenues to go yeah. down again. Uh, so I think there's, <laughs> exactly. it's an important step to reach out. And um, it's also important to sort of, you know, sit there and have people speak their language, understand what people worry about. Because yeah. if you've been in contact with maybe these clubs now, or also other Gen Zers who just discovered Bitcoin, what is sort of the number one issue they mostly face or the fears they have to, to, to get into Bitcoin and then to stick around? Yeah, um, I think a lot of... It's maybe I don't even know if you call this an issue, but knowing what questions to ask 
it's really hard. I think at the beginning when you don't know much about any of this, you don't even know what to ask to learn about Bitcoin, but you hear about blockchain everywhere. Um, and I, so as I mentioned, you know, you're not going to learn about this from your university or maybe even your friends around you are just much more, if they are familiar about this at all, much more blockchain focused. Um, I will say as an aside this morning, I was in lecture and I was just talking to the girl next to me, who I met um, a couple times and she said, oh, you know, what do you have planned for the rest of the day? And I said, oh, you know, I'm just going to go back. I have a podcast that I'm looking forward to. Um, she's like, oh, what is it for? And I said, it's about Bitcoin. And she was like, oh my gosh, no way. I've been wanting to learn about Bitcoin. And so that was like a very rare exception I have experienced where someone actually knows about Bitcoin and is super eager to learn about it. Um, so it's hard to make a broad statement about what are the issues because stuff like this happens and it surprises me. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say just my concise answer is it's really hard to know what questions to ask. And so at Generation Bitcoin, one of the things we're also working on, and it needs a better name, um, it's kind of like a Bitcoin university guide. So as we know, Bitcoin encompasses every discipline. But if you are studying biology and you hear about Bitcoin or you hear about blockchain, you might just think, oh, you know, that does not relate to me. I have, you know, prelims and exams and projects to do. I'm, you know, I need to just stay focused on what my interests are. But this university guide we're putting together is going to list out you know, any major and you can kind of click on it and it'll give you like a hook almost where you can see, no, Bitcoin does relate to biology in this way. And then maybe help you down your rabbit hole and then help prompt you with questions. Um, so I'd say it comes back to knowing the right question to ask. That's no um, easy undertaking because the, <laughs> no. the, the subject that you link back um, will also have a sub topic in of itself um exactly. and again and again and it just creates this web of information and um that is that yeah that's going to be no easy task to build but I, i'm sure as the incentives grow and and the the community grows there will be more appetite to just sort of input data into yeah. that yes that's, a, that's an amazing project yeah yeah a lot of people too that at these clubs um I would say they're either math, CS, or econ majors. And so for them, crypto is, is just maybe more enticing. They can, if they you know spend a lot of time learning how to code and get really good at that, then they might just have more fun kind of testing out smart contracts on Ethereum or uh, maybe they're really into gaming. And after a long day at school, they just want to go interact with you know, a Web3 gaming or the Avalanche gaming platform or, or something like that. So a lot of people have the mindset that Bitcoin is just old and, you know, it's not relevant anymore because that's why we have all these other blockchains. And so really just trying to make Bitcoin relevant to them and interesting and why it matters, because um, not to take maybe a less um, happy tone, but I think a lot of change is coming in the world and it can maybe be daunting and scary and lacking some hope, but Bitcoin really is that hope um, and a solution. And so it's important that they, they know about it. And I always say, so maybe Ian, you had that experience. I, I never grew up in like the punk rock scene. I mean, London must have been a great place to be in that scene. But um, where I grew up, we, we always used to go to, you know, these hidden concerts and you sort of had a anti-culture to whatever was modern hip or pop mm -hmm. and for a lot of people that was attracting but then you know taking that final step so to say and going to a concert going to events and things like this that takes a lot of guts and i feel like this is the same thing with bitcoin where sometimes we forget we're just a bunch of fucking weirdos online <laughs> the way we talk <laughs> and the way we exchange uh, with people on the outside and yeah i can't imagine if you're then even a generation younger than i am sort of sit there and go like well um you know it might look interesting but as you said i like gaming more i like this more and i might just put yeah. it aside and come back to it later if i get a bit older and a bit more mature yeah 
Yeah, yeah. But I'll say even just the kind of the random conversations that are not random, but Bitcoin tends to pop up in conversations that I have with friends. If we grab lunch or grab a coffee or something and once we just start talking, it's not at all that they're uninterested and pretty much everyone is interested. And so, you know, I only want to give positive credit to Gen Z and say, look, you know, they are interested. They are curious. Even people that maybe are more blockchain Mm -hmm focused there's you know still interested in bitcoin it's just it's just a matter of how you make it relevant to people um mm. and so I, I guess i should have mentioned this earlier this summer one project that i um decided to do is kind of write down a lot of the conversations i've been having with friends mm. um so at pacific bitcoin last year and I'm very looking, very much looking forward to going again this year. A large takeaway was that we have to stop emphasizing, you know, just one Bitcoin. We have to start emphasizing Sats because, mm-hmm. especially Gen Z, you know, they see twenty five thousand dollars, and again, that's not very enticing to come by. They'd rather see something that's a couple cents. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a blog called Sats Chats, um, basically written like it's a pun, um, like we sat down and we chatted about Bitcoin, but also to teach people about, (laughs) yeah, I I like a pun too. Maybe again, it needs a better name, but that's what it is for now. Um, Also trying to emphasize Sats. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I love having conversations about Bitcoin. I will happily say the same thing over and over again. But I just thought, Ella, you need to write this down um, so people could go back and reference. And so I wrote, um, I think it's like 21, 22 different articles going from like zero to, I don't know, maybe 10, kind of covering the basics of blockchain and Bitcoin. And so I've been sending that to a lot of friends also. And, you know, they found it helpful. So it's just having the conversations and really taking the time to explain Bitcoin, I think will go a long way. Are you sorry? I forgot to ask. Are you also CS and econ major, or <laughs> no? I'm not. Um, so I did enter college to be CS. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, so I, I studied abroad in Beijing for my junior mm-hmm. year of high school, and I went and I did not know Mandarin at all. I didn't even know hello, um, but I just was like, you know what? I'm gonna get there and I will learn it. And I had the most incredible host family and the most incredible teachers, and they taught it to me. Um, So I left and I was not fluent, certainly not fluent, but I could travel around by myself. Um, But when I was there, I learned about Confucianism and how the Chinese language is really structured Mm -hmm. and how there are elements in the characters kind of code empathy or how you should act, how you should engage in kind of your relationships. And at the same time, I was learning about AI. And so I wondered, could you code ethics into computer code just as you could into um, like a computer language? Mm-hmm. And so I applied to colleges with that. I applied CS um, and Chinese programs. Um, ultimately, though, I when I transferred, um, so I started at NYU Shanghai, and then I transferred to Cornell. I had taken a class on creativity Mm -hmm. and a lot of what was emphasized to me there was the importance of asking better questions, not just seeking answers. Um, And then also kind of collecting the dot or um, collecting dots and then connecting them. So a long way of saying that I'm now studying cognitive science um, as well as information science and business. Um, And then it looks like my independent major probably won't get approved, but I'm going to do an honors thesis focused on Bitcoin instead. So where there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) So I'm going to try and make it work. Wow, that's that's cool. And the the nuances in in the language as it's written down um, and the the coding aspect to it is an interesting concept. And that's probably why people shouldn't be getting Chinese symbol tattoos in some random tattoo shop <laughs> because they can come out with some various um, letters on there wherever it is yeah. but um i was thinking earlier when you were talking about the gener- we were talking about our the three different generations here yeah and we all had um within our generation um a lie told to us or we were sold a lie um mine was um work hard get out work hard 
um, the harder you work, the more you're going to get, and you're going to get in the property ladder, and you're going to have some sort of security. And I think for you, Joelle, I think maybe your generation's message was go to university, right, and uh, get a good education. And in, in that aspect, then you will be able to, you know, get a better head start for most people. Um, would that be right, Joelle? Um, that was my assumption of your generation. I think it, yes and no. I think it, uni does work for a lot of people who are indecisive at that moment in time. So I wouldn't mm. generalize it. But um, yeah, you could basically maybe go down the road of, um, I remember when I was a kid, I had to always focus on one thing. And I think that was always the thing where I was like, well, right. but what if I want to try different things as well? So that would be my personal mm. life, which I told. It's good to spread out sometimes and try different things. What about your generation, Ella? What, what's the kind of premise of the, or the expectation from society for you guys? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I want to continue to think about it. But my first, um, well, my first thought of an answer might be the fact that I think my generation grew up with the participation trophy. Like you kind of just get the trophy for showing up. Um, you know, it's not just the winners that get a trophy. Everyone gets the award. And thinking in terms of kind of Bitcoin terms, I think that's very proof of stake. Like you just kind of show up. You don't really do much of the work. You get the trophy. Um, but I think we do live in, and I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, we live in a more proof of work society. You know, I'm not going to graduate from college because my friend tells the dean that she saw me studying in the library. I'm only going to graduate from college because I go to the library and I study and I pass my exams and I do the work. Um, and so I, I don't even know if you can call it a lie, but I think the fact that my generation has grown up I mean, just subliminally with the idea of a participation award. And then this is a little different, but also social media, it just drains our attention spans. And I think that's both of those things are just so high time preference. So kind of low time preference thinking long term is not our default. And um, I think that's something that as a generation, we have to acknowledge and really work to address. And I'll say, it's hard to make any broad characteristics about any generation, but I'll, I think those two might be the most glaring. That's that's cool. And I think you mentioned earlier, Joelle, about options available. Um, and it sparked my thought about, I was probably the last generation that real had, really had an opportunity of getting on the property ladder and getting a house and reasonably paying it off in time. And I think yeah. that I, I was kind of like that last wave um, where things started to sort of become more difficult economically and it's getting worse over time. And obviously we can see the cracks forming now in the system that we've currently got um, with the, the BRICS nations, uh, you know, signaling in what they're going to do and the uh, underlying news and tensions around ETFs and stuff like that. So for you as a generation, quite uh, still early on in your journey through life there's so much uncertainty ahead of you um, and for all of us but you know you're going to have to live beyond me and um, do you ever think about what the future could be like um, if bitcoin uh, continues in its trajectory and what it could look like if it for whatever reason uh, doesn't come to fruition yes and i i've I've actually been thinking about this a little bit recently, and I'll say up front, I'm very excited about what the future will look like. Um, so one of the courses I am taking right now to fulfill a requirement of the business minor um, was called Introductions to Organizations and Management. And so basically right now, we're just learning about the history of capitalism. Um, but a large part of it was capitalism really at the beginning when we were exploring was all about property rights. And since kind of the Dutch East Indies company, and you'll have to take everything I say for the next couple minutes with a grain of salt, because I, I could say something wrong. I only just learned this. Um, but essentially, property rights was kind of the whole point, And capitalism really grew from that global sense of exploration. And then once all the property was kind of acquired, maybe to an extent, the exploration kind of stopped a little bit. Um, 
But I, why I'm excited about the future is Bitcoin is property rights that every single person, all 8 billion people can hold and own. And if we're thinking about just ex, uh, property rights and the ability to explore and experiment and kind of adventure, I think Bitcoin just leads to an infinite and exciting uh, era of possibility about what the future looks like, because it's like the first time in hundreds of years we we can now explore um property rights in a, in a new way. I think all of the innovations that could come from that would be really interesting. Um, so I'll get a more refined answer for you once <laughs> I kind of learn more and digest the information. But um, that's my, I'm very hopeful for the future. And I think that it will be a very exciting time. Um, but yes, if we do not recognize Bitcoin, and if we do not have sound money, I think that's a less, um, a much less hopeful future and much more dark. Um, but I, I, I'm choosing to have an optimistic mindset of how the future will, will look because I think Bitcoiners were so aware of proof of work of doing our work. We're incredibly dedicated and, and no one's just going to give up on this mission. I think that we're going to keep showing up every day and, um, you know, fill out our responsibility to share and educate Bitcoin and, I think we have the network effect. And um, of course, I think there will be tumultuous periods mm. over the next couple of years, decades. Um, but I'm choosing to have the optimistic mindset that in the end, we will have a Bitcoin standard. That's First of all, that's very encouraging. And second of all, I think it's yeah. healthy that we, um, we're not so much doom and gloomers. Sometimes when I spend a bit too much time on Bitcoin Twitter or Nostra, it feels yeah. a bit doom and gloomy where I go, you know, close the laptop, put the phone away, go outside and just talk to people because yeah. you'll quickly realize that there's a lot of enthusiasm. And even though we're in crazy times all over the world, for some reason, yeah. people just want to do stuff and contribute to do better. And I think if we might be yeah. able to scratch some of that off and put it back into the Bitcoin community at large sometimes, yeah. that would be quite helpful <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. One more point I would like to go down because you said you were interested in AI yes. as well. We had Jose, who's the CEO of IBEX, on uh, a few weeks ago. He, the episode was out now. And uh, he actually mentioned how Lightning, Bitcoin specifically, could intertwine with AI. You being interested in AI, is that also something you look into? Uh, do you possibly see different things with AI that are happening? Um, I'm just curious because we often hear, you know, the buzzwords going around and then no one is actually saying what they're researching or doing. Um, how do you see that intertwine between Bitcoin and AI at the current moment? So I think what keeps me interested is what uh, is it's the same thing that got me interested. Um, it's the question of ethics and what is this seatbelt that we need to put on AI. Um, and so um, I'll, maybe this will turn into a little bit of a story. Um, but last semester, I took a class on the psychology of language. Um, basically, how do we understand language? Um, many different topics on language. And one of the takeaways was that, so in our conversation that we're having right now, before I even stop talking or you stop talking, either of us needs to have a response already prepared. And it happens so incredibly quickly. And that um, introduces a concept called the now or never bottleneck in language. And so if you picture just, you know, a bottle and you have the bottleneck, there's so much that we want to get through, but there's a limited amount of space. And so to do that, um, we use kind of the communication iceberg. Um, so there, there's, we have different tools that we can use to get as much information as possible through this bottleneck. And so we might have a shared culture. We might have, we could pull on um, the fact that maybe we've known each other for a long time. So you have a recollection of past conversations that you've had or what you like, your preferences, dislikes. Um, so there's many different kind of uh, cultural elements that kind of live underneath kind of the surface like an iceberg. And then we also have other tools like, Ian, right now you're nodding, like you're signaling to me that you're following what I'm saying. Or maybe I say something and then you look confused. And so then that signals to me, oh, you know, Ella, you need to go back and explain that again. Um, or we have saying, you know, huh, 
or, hmm, you know, different vocal cues as well. And so when we think about to have the idea of how could we code um, ethics into a computer language, how are we supposed to do that? So how are we supposed to do that? But then how are we also supposed to do it to address the different morals and ethics and preferences of all 8 billion people around the world? How do we also make sure that um, all of these different artificial intelligences recognize those? Because we might have different opinions of what is right and wrong. So this task just seems incredibly daunting. And in the course, um, I asked the professor and basically it was like, yeah, I don't really think we can code ethics into a computer language. Um, so that was not very hopeful. Um, but then I heard Drew Bansel's talk at Bitcoin Miami, and he was talking a lot about AI. And so now we're going to pull in biology, just as we were talking about earlier with Bitcoin. And um, I'm not a bio major, so I might get this wrong as well. But the Krebs cycle and um, citric acid and ATP and how do humans kind of, uh, what are the different processes of our metabolism and getting energy and I say all that to say, I think Bitcoin will do what language cannot and help us um, align AIs to act in a way that we hope they do. And we, as in the 8 billion people, um, because humans have the Bitcoin. AI does not have Bitcoin. AI cannot understand our traditional or our current monetary system in a way that's super easy, but it's a lot easier to program AI to understand Bitcoin. They just they're in the same language almost right now. Um, so the, what I think will be interesting to see is if Bitcoin can kind of be the language of AI um, and if Bitcoin can also be the alignment of AI, because I think the values embedded in Bitcoin are very clear. And on the whole, those are the values that we would want our AI to have. And the AI can only get more Bitcoin if it acts in line with values that the humans want um, and kind of agree with. So what brought me into AI is, is still what's keeping me in AI. That is a huge rabbit hole and I'm fascinated by <laughs> the is. concepts that you've just presented <laughs> to me. And um, I've, I've heard uh, a couple of people throughout Bitcoin, Twitter and various things that I've heard about. And that might have been even the Miami mm -hmm. um, talk about AI, about AI basically using and paying uh, itself and each other within the AI ecosystem, Bitcoin. It's, it's generating its own kind of transactions within the, the using Bitcoin on its own. And the concept of like a, a car driving over a, a magnetic sort of charging yeah. pod and then it's automatic automatically transacting and communicating with the car etc um it's a fascinating yeah. rabbit hole um that I'm, I'm keen to explore um but with your bottleneck um yeah. analogy that it, it caused me to think what's causing that uh, bottleneck in the first place where does that come from what does that look like and is there a way and is it possible to expand that bottleneck or is is the bottleneck a necessary feature so i wish i had the numbers off the top of my head at the moment but essentially it's just as fast as we can process language and information um it's in the milliseconds of, for instance, you can, oh, I wish I could remember the numbers off the top of my head right now, but if you are presented with an image and let's just say it's a dog and by the time that you could see the image and say dog, I mean, you sh that's like more time um, than you needed to have to prepare a response to someone else. So I'll write this down and I'll get better at explaining it. But essentially there's just, we have such um, constraints on our time to receive and process information. To my knowledge, I, I don't think we can expand the bottleneck. We just have to get better at working through it. Um, but maybe that's a task to get back to you on. Do you think that would be different with um, multi-language people that maybe need to process it differently if they don't hear it in the na native tongue? Or is that based across different languages? Yeah, no, there's really interesting studies just generally across different languages on how if they are more, um, so for instance, French, 
and then I think it's Vietnamese, just what your outlook is on the future. Um, So the Vietnamese has no way to express kind of regret or, oh, I wish I could have done that. Um, It's called the subjunctive. And French has four tenses for the subjunctive. And so I think there was a poll done a couple of years ago on kind of the most optimistic and most pessimistic countries. And you could probably guess the most optimistic country or was kind of Vietnam and the most pessimistic was France. And so language has profound impacts on how we, you know, process information, receive it, how we make decisions, um, what our outlooks are on the future, on the past. Um, yeah, the, the class last semester was really fascinating. Uh, that's just kind of one example, but there's many others um, as well. And, you know, how you, if you're going to recognize a shape or a color, just depending on um, what your own language different ties are. So it's hugely impactful. And I think Bitcoin is kind of a language for everyone. Hmm. Um, so the, the idea with AI is that Bitcoin kind of serves as its ecological currency um, and it's um, kind of impacting the metabolism of the AIs. Um, but the fact that Bitcoin could serve as that um, that currency have a tie to its energy and its ability to act and do things. And the fact that Bitcoin serves as a language for everyone all around the world. I find a lot of hope in that because I think Mm. then everyone um, can just have more of a say. It's a lot more equitable of a system. Uh, So yes, there's many different rabbit holes and kind of your brain just feel like the more you learn about Bitcoin, sometimes I feel like the less I know, um, which is maybe a good thing because that means I'm learning. <laughs> right. But yeah, the, yeah, there's just so many rabbit holes to go down and it's it's fascinating and it's it's really kind of a transformation of self, which is really um, a lot of gratitude to Bitcoin for that as well. It's almost like uh, Bitcoin is a universal language and then we can all understand the the yeah. language together in, in, in the numbers and it, it all ties back to your fascination that you're talking about with numbers earlier on I can see how all your different interested topics and <laughs> projects that you're working on is centered around numbers yeah. um yeah what was what was it like growing up um where you grew up did you say Texas is that is that where you grew, grew up yes yeah um, and and yeah. oh sorry, sorry and um how, how does that relate or does it relate in any way to bitcoin um, I think it would relate in the, a lot of people say, you know, Bitcoin is all about family, um, liberty, private property, freedom. Um, and so I grew up in very loving family, you know, on the weekends, we would kind of all sit, make breakfast together on the plates that my mom used when she was little. Um, so, you know, just the family values, I think are very present in Bitcoin and, um, we had kind of a circular dining table and my mom would kind of stack books that she thought each of us would like. And so we would just, you know, come down on the weekend and, um, you know, make breakfast together and then sit and talk and kind of just be in each other's presence. Um, so I don't know, maybe some of, obviously none of, I didn't know about Bitcoin at the time. None of us really knew about Bitcoin at the time. Um, but you know, those values that Bitcoin also has were there. Um, and I guess abstracting a little, um, I think Bitcoin gives you a very strong awareness of your time and how you use your time and that time is limited. Um, and this is only me looking back, but I was kind of the homework helper. Um, when I was little, people would email me with kind of homework questions, email because I was the only one in my grade who didn't have a phone yet, um, which actually I'm grateful for now. But I used to, um, I had a glass shower door, and so I would kind of tape my notes up to the outside of the shower door so that I could study and just, I don't know, be more efficient. Um, So I think a lot of values of Bitcoin were maybe around me um, when I was younger, and so maybe that increased my likelihood of finding Bitcoin or really understanding it, but that's how it presented itself. How is it these days? Are you like the the Bitcoin in the family or did it also spark an interest with your parents, maybe brothers and sisters or outskirts of the family? Yes, no, I'm 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 definitely not the main Bitcoiner in the family. Um I think my mom and I 
learned about Bitcoin um, around the same time, but she definitely fell down the rabbit hole um, before me and definitely maybe orange pilled me as well. Um, so she's the main Bitcoiner in the family. Um, but my dad um, also understands Bitcoin as a Bitcoiner. Um, the friends around me understand it. Um, so yeah, I, I think when you know about Bitcoin, and this is not my quote, this is, I think my mom's, if I'm telling you about Bitcoin, it's kind of her way of saying, I love you. So, you know, many people around us are now aware of Bitcoin, my grandparents. Um, yeah, it's, it's something you don't really gatekeep or not share. You, you share it with the people that you love and that you care about. That's amazing. So instead of having, uh, I don't know, the latest doom and gloom at the dinner table, you often probably talk about if bits or sats are the standard. So uh, <laughs> I can imagine some pretty cool barbecue dinners and stuff <laughs> at your place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, before we uh, close up things, uh, we always yeah. have one final question or one final task okay. for our guests on our show. Uh, yeah. You may have heard the saying, all roads eventually lead back to Bitcoin. Yes. And yeah. we kind of want to test this because okay. it's easier said than done. And okay. we usually give our guests a word and they have to come up with an association with that word to, you know, get people to Bitcoin. So, for example, if someone asks okay. you about coffee, you get that analogy and they eventually get like, oh, maybe I should look into this Bitcoin thing. And yeah. because you spoke about books earlier um, with your mom okay. at the table, we thought that yeah. library might be a good word for you because you also go to uni and probably spend a lot of time there anyway. So how yeah. can you uh, relate library, the word or the place back to Bitcoin? Oh, gosh. Oh, this is a good one. This reminds me of, um, have you seen the movie, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding? When there's like, oh, yes, you know, give me yes. I'll tell you how it's Greek. <laughs> yes. um, this is funny, this connects. Um, okay, library. I, I want to give you like a, a good answer, but I think... And I, I hope this relates back, but, um, and I can't take credit for this idea, but um, Knut said this at Bitcoin Prague, Prague about how kind of Bitcoin is everyone. It's you, it's me, it's, it's us. Um, so library knowledge, um, you know, Bitcoin is knowledge. It's all about having knowledge go up, but I also think it's, it's within all of us, um, you know, each of us could maybe serve as a library to someone else. We all have had different experiences. We've all related to Bitcoin in a different way. Um, and I think each one of us has a role to play with orange pilling other people, sharing experiences, again, to talk about kind of the communication iceberg, you know, maybe the experiences that the person you are talking to have been through. So maybe not so much just in the book sense, but a library also of the experiences and the knowledge that you have and you hold and just sharing it with others. Um, one of the quotes that my parents shared with me when I was younger, and it's always stuck with me is um, it's from CC Chapman. And it just says kind of amazing things will happen if you share all, you know, with all who ask and really just kind of support those around you. So I think just share all the libraries you have within you with all who ask. And um, yeah, I think that's how you can take the next step and kind of be on the Bitcoin mission. I don't know about usual, but I think that's one of the, the better all roads lead back to Bitcoin um, answers we've had on the show. So thank you for that, Eva. That was uh, a good one. Okay. Um, and thank you so much for um, guiding us down your Bitcoin rabbit hole journey. And um, I'm very much looking forward to following your progress with all the various projects um, mm -hmm. that you've got going on. Um, you're a friend of the show, so you're welcome back oh, anytime. You. If you've got anything exciting you want to announce, just... Um, contact us and we're more than happy um, to help you put the signal out there. Um, Joel, any last words? I guess the best place if people want to reach out is probably Twitter. And um, if you've got any more links, we'll definitely put them in the show notes. But um, also big thanks from my end. And, you know, fingers crossed that uh, there will be a, a Bitcoin program soon at your uni because uh, yes. it, it's desperately needed. We need that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. No, but thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's been great. Thank you.